Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys, talk to you soon. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place, because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Build Your Network. It's Wednesday, which means it's time for a midweek mashup episode. My name is Eric Skorzynski, I'm Travis Chappell's producer, and it's my great pleasure to introduce you to the three guests who will be sharing clips from today. First up is Jonathan Kruger. He's the founder of Lionsgate Advisors. Since 2000, Jonathan has invested in the personal finance industry and has held several executive management positions throughout his career. Next is Jason Hartman, who has been involved in several thousand real estate transactions and has owned income properties in 11 states and 17 cities. His company, Platinum Properties Investor Network Incorporated, helps people achieve the American dream of financial freedom by purchasing income property in prudent markets nationwide. And last but not least is Daniel Blue. He's the president of Quest Education, a company that helps entrepreneurs obtain capital for their companies, pay off high interest debt, and use self-directed retirement accounts to invest in alternative assets. We're going to be talking about how to make your money work for you. And you'd be hard pressed to find three people more qualified than the three that I just listed off. So take some time, listen to the episode. And remember, if you appreciate something in the episode, be sure to take a screenshot and tag Travis on Instagram with the handle at Travis Chapel. All right, guys, let's get into the episode. Why an internship versus something like college or something like that? Well, at the time, I really thought that the opportunity of traveling the world sounded a lot better. 
Mm. And so I spent the next couple of years of really f- uh, figuring out and get dialed into what is it that I wanted to do. And so I thought international finance was a good place to start. And it was actually from there that I was in, uh, introduced to a man that eventually changed my life. Um, I'd been given the opportunity to um, actually give a tour of St. Petersburg, kind of act as a tour guide for St. Petersburg and Moscow to a group that was coming in, um, into Russia at the, that point from Colorado. And one of the gentlemen that I met, his name was Richard King Brown. And we we're going around to different um almost kind of like vacation Bible schools, if you will, or like okay. um, group activities where people in ministry were um, sponsoring or helping out with youth groups or with just community activities. And, mm-hmm. and this gentleman would just kind of stand back and watch them and kind of uh, inter- interact with them. But there are some groups that were well-funded and other groups that were not at all. And you could tell they're just bleeding hearts. They would give their shoelace off their shoe to the person that needed it or give them their own jacket off their back. And he would just walk up to them and he would give them um, something. I couldn't tell at first what it was, but they just break down in tears. And after this happened two or three times, I walked up to him. I said, Richard, uh, what is it that you're giving to him? And he said, oh, I always carry around a lot of $100 bills. And um, when I see someone in need and they're just pouring out their lives into the lives of others, I just find a way to bless them. Hmm. I thought, what an incredible incredible opportunity to live out your faith, but also to be able to impact others' lives. And, and I said, I don't know what it is that you do, but I want to do it. Yeah. And, right. um, and he told me it was international finance and it wasn't until, and that was in 1994, 1995. Uh, so it really turned my eyes to getting my international business degree and marketing degree and having a minor in finance at the university of Colorado. And, um, I ended up, pursuing this career, not knowing that I would eventually meet him in 2018, um, almost two decades later, uh, have and be in the same career field as he is. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. What an amazing insight to have to being that young of a person. Um, I find, I find that if you didn't grow up around money, that most, most of the time your your thought process around people who have money is that they are greedy and that they are selfish and that they had to step on a bunch of people to get to where they are. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not maybe anything that might be different for everybody where that comes from, whether it's parents or culture or your teachers or mm-hmm. the people around you that don't have money that are maybe casting dispersions on the people who do have money because of, you know, jealousy even sometimes. Um, sure. but, but for you to be able to have that kind of an experience at being that young of an age where you were still kind of considering what to do with the rest of your life had to be, you know, just something that was just an incredible thing for you. Cause I, I never really, never really had anything like that. It, you know, when I was, when I was growing up, um, all the exposure that I ever had into it was like, Oh, that person's a jerk because they have money. You know, uh-huh. um, it, just, it gives you such a sick money mindset that makes you kind of feel justified in avoiding making it right. Well, and Travis, as you say that I'm taken back to, when I was at that stage in my life, we had the opportunity of raising support to be in Russia. And so from getting to know people and talking, telling them about the story of where we're going, we did it really as a family. And so we ran across a lot of different people telling them our story about what we felt God had led us to. And I really felt called to be able to go into um, going over to St. Petersburg, Russia. And at that time, 
has really impacted all those that were wealthy had really been good stewards or all those that could give had really been good stewards of their finances and they weren't enslaved to debt. You know, most of them knew how to manage their debt or manage their finances. And so they had um, excess capital or discretionary funds that they could be able to give to those um, missions or needs that they felt was important. And it was at that age that I realized most of the most giving people that I had interacted with all had some discretionary income and those that were tied down because of debt um, were enslaved to it and they, they were really limited in life. And so I think that's what has influenced us so much now that I reflect on it, that that's one of the major reasons why we run our own business debt-free. Hmm. Yeah, I love that, man. So um, I'm curious to know why the internship path was the one for you. Um, if it was anything to do with your parents or authority in your life, or if you just from a really young age had your head screwed on the right way and understood that you didn't want to do something that other people were forcing you to do, and you wanted to do something that you actually wanted to do. Um, can you walk me through that decision-making process? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, It may have been that desire in me to always be able to press on for adventure, I had the opportunity as a junior in high school to either submit an application to uh, to the Air Force Academy because I was an Eagle Scout and had uh, senator recommendations and could be able to, most likely with the grades, uh, be able to um, get an acceptance at the academy in Colorado Springs. Hmm. Uh, Or my parents were leaving to go to Russia and uh, have the opportunity to travel in the world, and I chose the latter. And so in doing so, getting over to Russia, really wanting to be able to make the most of it, I studied the Russian language right out of high school uh, for the following two years and, and uh, completed this. I call it an internship because when you're getting paid $2 an hour, I think that's what it gets um, <laughs> close to. It doesn't qualify as a job yet. Yeah. That's right. right. <laughs> oh. and, I, and I really wanted to be able to learn from other people and be able to identify what it was that brought them joy in their own life and then be able to identify people that were doing it right, you know, that had the freedom and flexibility in their own lives uh, to be able to impact others. And, um, you know, I think it's my parents modeled it well, and that experience okay. really opened up my eyes to uh, pursuing it even further. How did your parents do it? Well, my parents modeled it, um, one, by always really going to prayer uh, and praying through what, which decisions that they were going to make mm-hmm. in life, but then also on how they led the family. And uh, whether it was a time of great need or a time of surplus, uh, there's always something to be joyful about. And so in their own lives, uh, my dad has always pursued mentors for uh, whether it was being a a dad or a father and raising a family uh, or whether it's making business decisions. And so I just saw that mentored, uh, you know, modeled really well for me and in and throughout my life. And I think that's what led to me wanting to do the same uh, with that opportunity that I had. Got it. So coming back into the story here, what happens after Russia? Well, we moved to the entire family moved to Colorado Springs. And so we lived in Colorado Springs up until just five years ago. So I was uh, out there for almost 19 years. And I graduated from the University of Colorado and uh, studied international business and marketing at that point. And uh, my senior year of college is when I started going through interviewing with different firms and I went to work with um, the marketing division of Citigroup at the time was Primerica and I started working with them hmm. and uh, really just pursued that career, hoping that eventually it would lead to the opportunity for me to be able to 
um, take an executive position internationally with the direction that Citigroup was going at the time. Gotcha. So you started in Primerica then in this industry? Yeah. Okay. How did that go? Well, it's a hard way to cut your teeth in the business. Sure is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I've, I've, you know, I've, it's one thing that I find actually very common with a lot of the entrepreneurs that I bring on here is, especially if, if you weren't, you know, born into wealth or any of those things. Um, I find that a lot of people have that, you know, cut your teeth sales experience really early on. I, similar story. I just did, I did door to door sales for about seven years. And, um, a lot of people that I know, you know, were in network marketing, they were selling right. something, they were, they were, they were on the phones, like they were really cutting their teeth in terms of emotional intelligence and in sales and, um, how to communicate with people, how to build a business from having absolutely nothing, including experience <laughs> and, uh, and usually find regardless of whether or not they were actually successful in that initial venture, it's what kind of like got, got their feet wet in entrepreneurship. So what, yes, what was, what was the story for you? Well, my dad, uh, he was a client of Primerica at the time. And so he, they were having, um, he had talked to the regional vice president there at the local office and they were doing some interviews as they, they normally do with group interview sessions, kind of introduce the company and decide um, who they can recruit from there. And after, after the initial overview presentation, they had a book laying at the front of the table and they said, um, he said, Jonathan, come take a look at this book. And in the book, it was all their top earners, top producers, and how much income that they're making. He started at the back looking for, he said, I've got a couple friends that are still working with the company. And then he, as he's thumbing through it, trying to find their picture, he goes, I know they're still with them. Where are they? And he finds their pictures at the front of the book. And they're each making over uh, three or $4 million respectively. And he said, oh my gosh, I had no clue they're doing so well. That's incredible. Hmm. I said, dad, you knew these guys? And he said, oh yeah, uh, I started with them back in the day. And I said, uh, man, if those guys can make it, I know I can make it. And so mm. it really kind of hooked me into um, getting into this field. One, because I knew I wanted to go into finance and uh, Citigroup was a strong company. But two, I thought if, the, if my dad has friends that have made it in this company or into this field well, then I could probably learn. And I didn't have any clue about what was in front of me, but I just dove right in. Yeah, right. And it turn, turned out to work out for you? Well, for the first nine years, and then I decided, uh, I realized- so You stayed Primerica for nine years. I was in it, yeah. So wow. I, was a, I became a regional vice president with them, and uh, we that's, set a number of that's records. That's no small task. It was, it was a wonderful time. It would be better if it had been a true network marketing company, though. Hmm. Um, I'd probably be still paid on all the residuals from the mortgages that we sold. Yeah. But <laughs> the- the, the essence of it was the same. They had incredible leadership. They had an create a great environment and really developed and cultivated a culture and a passion of, for a crusade. Hmm. And at that time in my life, I, I needed the leadership development and I needed to be able to um, be inspired. And they really cast a vision that allowed for me to buy into. And it wasn't until 2008, 2009 that I realized that uh, I had uh, really set my ladder up on the wrong corporate um, system. Yeah. Climb, climb the wrong mountain. Yeah. And I, I thought I'd set it up correctly, understanding sure, of course. the way they taught it. But once I understood that, you know, broker dealers are really set up for primarily offering products and solutions that are in the best interest of the company and not of the individuals, that's where I realized I need to break away and uh, do something different. And so in 2009, I did. And then I had a two-year non-compete. So it wasn't until 2000. 
2012 um, or 2013 that actually came back into into the industry um, okay. after after working uh, for a couple of firms there in Colorado. Got it. Got it. So you continued in the industry just with a different company. That's right. Okay. So then it, where are on all of this does Lionsgate come in? Well, it was from the next company I went to work with, which was in um, back in this field in 2012, that uh, a company in Colorado Springs, the Old Co., and that we'd worked with, that they had asked if I would move out to St. Louis to partner with my now business partner, Jason Ingram. And my wife and I packed up our belongings and moved out here to open up our firm. And at the time, we we're under their flag. And so it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that we realized that, you know, Great people, great team, but we just needed to go two different directions uh, for our visions. And so uh, we launched out, we're truly independent, even though we'd always had our own firm and we'd just been more or less a franchisee uh, under their system that we helped them build and develop. Uh, we really branched out and did this completely independently um, just a year and a half ago. And so Jason and I, at that point, decided to buy into um, becoming Lion Street owners. And Lion Street is actually our. Um, our ownership firm. There's 180 owners of the Lion Street platform. It's more of a BGA uh, hybrid, if you will, that allows for um, advisors to be able to be partners in a larger organization and uh, truly have ownership in it. And so uh, we have ownership in the firm that we've developed currently, as well as in a larger organization that supports us. When you look at different assets in which you can invest, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, precious metals, uh, businesses, which are stocks, essentially, um, you know, cryptocurrencies, income property. I mean, there's a whole world of things in which to invest, right? Mm -hmm. um, the reason I love income property more than anything else is because, Travis, it is a multi-dimensional asset class. Mm. So you don't earn return from just one or two things. Example, stocks, okay? Non-dividend paying stock or precious metals or vacant land, which by the way is not income property because it doesn't mm -hmm. produce income. The, uh, the whole strategy is buy low, sell high. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the whole strategy, okay? The second uh, thing that would be a little better is a dividend paying stock or uh, something that produces some income. So that would be buy low, sell high, get dividends in between the two, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but income property is multidimensional. It's buy low, sell high, get cash flow, get tax benefits, get leverage, and get another really unique thing. And I've, I've coined this uh, little trademark term I call inflation-induced debt destruction, which is really the hidden wealth creator of income property. And it is, it is absolutely super powerful. I can dive into that if you want, but you're managing the time. So I'll let you, uh, I'll let you decide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Todd, before we go into something like that, tell me a little bit more about, um, you said uh, you're talking about uh, buy low, sell high. So mm -hmm. is there a bad time to buy real estate? I know a lot of people right now are, are in the boat of, you know, well, we're nearing the top of the market. It's got to be yeah. corrected Good. at some point Question. soon. Do I, could, do I buy now? Do I wait? What do I do in the meantime? Right. Good, good. Great question. Okay. So first thing to understand is let's not call it real estate because it's not 
really real estate. The only type of real estate I want to talk about is income producing property. So income property, okay? Because, you know, buying your own home or buying an expensive property and thinking you're an investor when you're really a speculator or a gambler is not what I would recommend or teach anybody to do Mm. or help anybody to do, okay? So that's the first thing. Then let's understand that when you talk about income property or real estate in general, there are three types of real estate markets and only three around the entire planet. All of the world can be categorized into one of these three types, linear markets, cyclical markets, and hybrid markets, linear, cyclical, hybrid, one, two, three, that's it. Okay. So the markets act very differently. And what you said was totally accurate. You know, look, we're late into the business cycle. Um, The economy has been booming for an awful long time. And isn't it time for a correction in, in just about everything? You know, many have argued that we are in the everything bubble, <laughs> okay? Yeah, not, yeah. Not, not any specific asset, just every asset. And, you know, there's some, there's some argument for that for sure. But we like to buy income property in these boring linear markets that don't make the news. These are not sexy real estate markets. Uh, the old saying in real estate is that all real estate is local. All real estate is local. And even just looking at the United States, you've got about 400 markets. So when you see some person get on TV and spew out a stupid soundbite that says, oh, the housing market or the real estate market, you know, I don't know what that means. Are you talking about Los Angeles, Miami, Memphis, Boston, Mm -hmm. uh, Little Rock, Arkansas? You know, it's so different. Okay. Mostly. Every soundbite anybody hears is a cyclical market. Why? Because the cyclical markets are newsworthy. They're more interesting. They have more going on. Los Angeles is a far more exciting market than Indianapolis, Hmm. but it's not a better market in which to invest. Okay. Um, And and so these, these linear boring markets are most of the world. Most of the world is a linear market. Uh, but the trophy cities around the world are cyclical markets. So I'll just give some examples. Pretty much the entire West Coast of the United States and into Canada, into Vancouver, is a cyclical market. Okay. Mm-hmm. San Francisco, LA, San Diego, Seattle, uh, Vancouver, Canada. Okay. All cyclical markets. Okay. Mm-hmm. And those have really glorious highs and really ugly lows. They are, they look, if you're looking at a, a chart, they look like a roller coaster up and down. Okay. Yeah. Um, in, uh, you also have South Florida, Miami, cyclical. Uh, the expensive Northeastern markets, Boston, New York, Washington, D.C., cyclical. Okay. Around the world, you have Paris, London, Dubai, uh, Hong Kong, cyclical. Okay. That's mm-hmm. all the trophy cities we all know, right? But, when you look at uh, little boring linear markets like Indianapolis, Memphis, Little Rock, uh, Cape Coral, Florida, um, you know, some areas of Orlando, Florida, uh, you know, these are great places to invest. Why? Because they have really good rent to value ratios hmm. where you can rent your property for 
about 1% or close to it of the purchase price. So you buy a $120,000 property and rent it for 1200 a month, you're doing great. Yeah. Compare that to a cyclical market like Los Angeles where I grew up, okay? So in Los Angeles, you buy a $600,000 property and you rent it for $2,500, hmm. okay? That's less than half a percent of the value versus our target being 1% of the value. Yeah. Right. So, so it's a big difference. So how do we get started? You know, like if you're, if you're, if you're listening to this right now and you're just like, okay, this seems to make sense. I know real estate's good. It's just scary. What do you do yeah. to get started? Like maybe, maybe you don't have the, uh, the, the money to be able to go out and, yeah. and buy, uh, buy a property like that cash and, and have income coming in. You know, yeah. what are some creative ways to get started in all this, Jason? Well, um, you know, for, for what we do, I mean, you know, on my podcast and uh, I have a referral network that helps investors acquire properties and you need about $20,000 for each single family home. Okay. That's about what it'll cost you. It starts at about $20,000. So you do need some money to invest. Uh, but, um, there are certainly lots of gurus out there teaching creative, nothing down strategies and things like that. And I just want to say those are possible. You can certainly buy properties with no money down. It is, Mm. it is a possibility. However, (laughs) it's a needle in a haystack. It's hard to find that deal where the seller's situation allows that for them to carry the paper mm-hmm. and they have a, you know, a loan that's really old that doesn't have what's called a due on sale clause. And the problem you run into Travis is that it's really hard to match the seller's circumstances where you can do the no money down deal along with a good property at the same time. Interesting. Okay. Can you expand on what you mean by that? Yeah. So like you could go and find a seller that you might be able to work a nothing down deal with. Yeah. But will the property be a good property? You might sacrifice property quality, Mm. you know, because it's so, there are such a small number of sellers that can have the circumstances that will allow you to do a no money down deal that, you you might be getting a crappy property for it. And yes, you could make that deal work, but then after you own it, can you actually make the property work? That's a whole nother question. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you know, the old saying, it takes money to make money. Well, it doesn't take that much, but it does take some sure. in, in most cases. Okay. Um, you, you know, remember with, with income property, uh, you can leverage it. So you can do more than you can afford. Hmm. And what I mean by that is you gave the example of a mutual fund. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want to buy a $100,000 mutual fund, you're going to pay $100,000 to buy into that fund. But with with income property, you could put $20,000 down on a $100,000 property. So it is the most debt favored asset class in America. And it's also the most tax favored asset class in America and taxes are the largest expense any of us have. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very very much in the forefront of your mind around around February, March, April time. Good point. Yeah. (laughs) 
mentioned uh, you mentioned that you had gotten into sales, so you were doing roofing for a little while. It just seems like just for about a year or so, sure. from seventeen, eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, what what got you into sales? Like, how did you even jump into that world, especially from roofing? It seems like a huge jump. I got so lucky, man. There was a, a friend that I had. She was a cheerleader at a, a college I, I was going to. I actually went to college just because society told me to. Right? We all. <laughs> told to go to college. So I go to college and I'm playing soccer. Once soccer's done, I'm like, why am I in college? Like, I have no idea what I'm going to college for. I had no, it's not like I wanted to be an engineer or a lawyer. Like I was just showing up. And yeah. initially it's just, I wanted to play soccer. So anyways, I meet a friend, she's a cheerleader. And at the same time, the reason why I say that is because I'm playing soccer, she's a cheerleader and we end up being friends. And she invited me to a, a party and the, it was a Halloween party. I still remember this, the Halloween party that she went to was her cheerleading coach's Halloween party. And the cheerleading coach, her husband, was a big shot sales guy. So I remember mm-hmm. I went to his house for this party and uh, he, he was wearing like an Afro, like disco. That's what he was characterized. That was mm-hmm. his costume. He had like the low cut, like disco suit. And, you know, he was just really, really friendly. And, and we started talking. And I remember looking at his house. His house was really nice. I'm looking around. I'm like, dude, what do you do for a living? He's like, sales. Hmm. I'm like, Okay. And he's like, what do you do? I'm like, I roof. He's like, you like it? I'm like, no. He's like, you want a job? I'm like, yeah. yeah, around, yeah. <laughs> so I show up at the office the next day. and all The next guys, day, really? Yeah. All of these guys are on headsets and, and they're just walking around pitching. And, and I saw BMWs out front, Mercedes out front. Like I see all these nice cars and I'm like, I don't know what you guys are selling, but like, like I want in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. What was the product? Real estate coaching. So it was uh, oh, okay. flipping houses, gotcha. uh, tax liens, tax deeds, so real estate uh, coaching services. Was it like a, a seminar that traveled and like, where, where, did you have a bunch of incoming leads or outbound? In, or? Infomercial leads. So it was a $39 okay. do-it-yourself program, right? $39? So, yeah, $39 wow. do-it-yourself program. So we would call those leads and upsell them uh, coaching. Oh, gotcha. So, was, so you were... You were, you were calling the customers, people that were already customers yep. and upselling. Yep. Yep. They, you know, Bob spent $40 one night, two o'clock in the morning. He's looking to improve his situation, make more money. And then we give him a call and, uh, you know, give him a hard close over the phone, trying to, you know, gotcha. persuade him to purchase more services. And how long did you do that for? Like, were you pretty much hooked from the beginning? Like yeah. as soon as you started? Yeah, I, uh, I did that for, shoot, I'm 30. I did that for six years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was like your initial, your real initial, you know, stint into the world of sales business and really the fir- entire first part of your career. Yeah. Sales is, uh, is what taught me. I feel like the principles I have in business and, and dealing with employees and, and, and revenue and operations, a lot of that was, was started, you know, at a young age, 18, 19 years old, cold calling people, setting deals, closing, and then just moving up the ladder. Yeah. Talk to me about um, top two or three lessons you took away from, you know, really cutting your teeth on the phones like that. One would be, you can't take things personal. You, you have to make sure that you know that reset button. And, and that's why I think there's a lot of parallels between sports and sales, right? Like mm-hmm. sports, you can't rest on your laurels, right? Like just because you won last week doesn't mean that this game this other team is going to just 
roll over. Like you got to show up every single day, right? You lost or you won, like you have to reset and and, and give it your all. And you got to have short-term memory because if you get too low, then your confidence is jacked and and you're just, you know, messing up what could happen. And and there's, there's things that are going to hold you back from becoming successful because we know how big of a, a deal our mindset is. But then if you are, winning and, and you're too cocky and overconfident, then you know, we know what can happen there. So uh, that's number one is, is dealing with rejection. There's going to be days where you make no sales. There's going to be mm. weeks where you have a crappy week, but how are you going to finish that month? Right. We, we know how many times, I mean, shoot, look at the Patriots a couple of Super Bowls ago, right? They were down big first half, second half, they come back and win. So to me, there, there's that long game and, and being able to take rejection. So yeah. that would be number one. And then number two would be, how can you make other people better around you, right? We all have worked around salespeople that are just like phenomenal salespeople. Like they, they can close like no other. They're just putting up money left and right. But are they making other people better around them? Can mm-hmm. they lead people, right? Because I think that's the biggest difference between a badass 1099 sales guy that can get a job anywhere he wants and someone that's a salesperson that actually becomes a business owner and runs a business and leads a team. Because you got to have both skill sets to be able to scale a business, lead others. Of course, sales is a part of it, but how are you making other people better? That's, that's mm. huge. Yeah, that's a huge takeaway, Mag. I never thought about it like that because obviously all my listeners know that I started in sales as well on the doors. So I think you know those are probably two of the hardest forms of sales right there would be door-to-door and, and uh, cold calling. And uh, there's so many things to take away from that. But that's one thing that's an interesting point that you bring up because you know there are so many people that... Uh, were at that company before I went there, uh, you know, and then they're still there to this day doing the same thing, like still doing that daily grind of hitting doors and things like that. And um, I look back at that and it just kind of makes me ask the question, like, man, was I just not cut out for sales? Like, I don't like what, what, how come I got fed up with it as fast as I did? And it had to move into like a different form of entrepreneurship in order to make it happen for me. But like that person can just like go every day for like the last decade and just be like hidden doors, hidden doors, hidden doors. And ultimately that probably is one of those big reasons because like I did it also to enrich the lives of people around me um, and spread the opportunity, not just to like do it for myself. And, and, and when I look at a lot of those other people, they were always individuals. They weren't trying to build teams. They weren't trying to recruit. They weren't trying to train or manage. They just wanted to go out, get theirs and then go back home. And, uh, and, and yeah, so, so maybe, maybe, maybe that's one of those you know, big common denominators between, you know, somebody who stays in sales, which nothing wrong with that. Uh, but, uh, you know, def- definitely a different path than the one that I decided to pick. Yeah. I mean, in, in the same time is like, how well can you play with others, right? Are yeah. you inspiring the people around you? Are you able to get other people to, to shine and, and allow them to shine? Because salespeople notoriously have huge egos, right? We yeah. all have egos to, in a, to a point, but we all know those salespeople that just every deal has to be theirs. It's all their credit. And, and what you mentioned earlier is important. They're not willing to, to do the little things that don't show up on the scoreboard, like mm-hmm. recruit and train, but actually it does show up on the scoreboard because if you can have more people around you that are working together to help you get more deals, you're getting them more deals and it just actually makes your check bigger. But I yeah. think a lot of it. And it's more fun. Too. Yeah, for sure. For, for me, that was the biggest thing is like, I just like having a good time when I'm working and not yeah. just like doing my thing, you know? So, um, I, I just liked having my friends with me and I, I wanted to see my friends be successful too. And I, I felt like I found a vehicle and it was bad of me to not share that vehicle with them, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, super interesting. So talk to me about the role that sales played when you decided to start your own company. 
So I think in the stages of sales, right? One, what are you selling and who are you selling it to? And how are you going to generate revenue, right? Like revenue is like the most important driver in all businesses, right? It's going to get things started. But what I see a lot of companies do, and I'm just saying this because of experience is you wing it, right? You're, you're talented in sales. You're relying upon raw talent to get you results, Mm -hmm. but it only can get you so far. So because of sales, being able to get on the phone and and drive revenue and solve problems and help people and then being able to lead others gets us to a point where, okay, I can train other people. I can do this podcast with you right now. And I have a sales team that is driving revenue. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the step one. Like you have to be able to duplicate yourself, right? Because if everything has to go through you and all of the appointments have to go through you and no revenue can be generated unless you're the one taking the call, like you're only going to be able to scale your business so far. So to, to, for me, I could have gone down the road of getting a degree in business and, and shoot, maybe getting an MBA, getting a degree in, in, in business and management, like it would serve me. But I feel like the degree that I got was sales, Right. Yeah, right. And, and and you can't go to school and, and learn how to get hung up on or learn right. how to get yelled at, right? I mean, you got hung up on or the door slammed in your face and people yelling at you. And then you got to be able to, to, to take that rejection and just start to the next door. The next door. Yep. Exactly. And, yep. and other people would just get demoralized. They don't yep. teach that in school. So that was my school. Yeah, for sure. I'm hundred percent on board with you there. That's uh, why that's one of the reasons I tell people that I think uh, I've seen a quicker path to success with the, uh, the podcast and the online business and coaching and consulting and um, you know, some of the done for you services that we do was just because anytime I wanted to test something out that was new, I didn't have to worry about building a website I didn't have to worry about marketing it a ton. I didn't have to worry about accounting. I didn't have to worry about profit or I didn't have to worry about anything business wise. All I had to do was worry about getting on a few phone calls and selling a few people. And if I could sell a few people and deliver a good thing, then I knew I had something. And then I can go back to the drawing board and be like, okay, so now how do I like systemize this? How do I put a process in place that will actually start doing some of these things for me? And, uh, and, but I think having that, ability to just jump in and start selling stuff, whatever it may be, just as long as there's value there, like I can sell it type of a mentality, um, has done, you know, wonders for my business. And it's given, it's, it really, it really, I think bro, gives me, and, and you can speak into this too. It gives me, um, confidence to go invest more things into my business because I know that at the end of the day, if I took a big risk on something and, uh, you know, say I take several big risks on multiple things at the same time, and I lost all of the money that is in our accounts currently, right? Like I lose everything. I know that tomorrow, starting from zero, I can just fill my schedule with phone calls and sell stuff. Like I know that, so it gives me way more confidence to be able to go out and take those bigger risks because, you know, what's the biggest risk? The biggest risk is like losing some money that I have in my account. Okay. So what? I put it there to begin with. Let me just go do that again. You know what I mean? Like it just calls for a different season really quick, but it gives me the confidence to be able to like run the business the way that I think it actually should be ran. Yeah, no, I, I, that's why I think the number one skill that you have to have you know, when you're starting a business is, is the ability to communicate with others and, and sell. But at the same time, it's, it's all mentality. It's all mindset. Like how can you take rejection? I mean, cause that, that's, 
that's hard to teach. So many people take things personal and let things just fester and they just don't move on. And I just have short-term memory. Like at the end of the day, I just know, just like you said, okay, if I lose everything, like I know I can rely on sales skills. Like I don't, because you're not selling the product, right? You're selling yourself. You just need to know enough about it to answer some basic questions. But I think the biggest thing that salespeople do that kills deals is they just talk too much. You know, (laughs) they, 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 they try giving way too much information and and people, they don't. And and I hear this from one of my mentors and I I love the, the analogy is, People want the house, not the mortgage, right? Yeah. People, they, they, they want the, 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 the whole drill. They don't want the drill. Like they just want the result, you right. know, like right. they don't really care how it happens. Obviously, ethically and morally, once, you know, we want it to be done correctly, but right. you know, people just want the result. They, they yep. want the, 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 the feature, you know, they're not so, uh, uh, they, they don't care too much about the, all the benefits. Like, okay, that's fine. But like, what, how's this going to help me today? How's this going to solve my problem? What's in it for me? How's this going to make it? faster, easier, better for me. Right. Right. And if you can figure that out, then like I said, I think like, well, like you said, you, you'll always have the confidence to be able to go out and get the next deal. Cause like, if you lost all of your employees, if you like made a big thing right now, like, you know, that tomorrow you could just come back to the office by yourself and hop on phones and start closing deals and yeah. put, and just pump life back into your business. Yeah. And that's, that's all, that's always to me been a, such a great feeling to, to have that confidence behind that. Well, that's it for today's show. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls, there's accountability crews and more, all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. See you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.